In this episode of The Dev Life, we recap an inspirational panel discussion from the Angular community meetup called The Hour of Empowering. Kate Skye, Elisa Duncan, and meetup co-organizer Eileen Villanueva join the chat to share inspiration, support, and ideas on topics that are common barriers for software engineers. Come get empowered as we dive into topics like giving public presentations, mentoring, balancing work and family life, imposter syndrome, and so much more. This is The Dev Life. Hey, Brooke, how's it going? It is going well today. How are you doing, Preston? I'm doing pretty good. Can't complain too much. We're back to having the kids in school, and so our days are a little bit more structured, and the kids are enjoying school. They've only been a few times so far, but uh, but it's been good. It's, yeah, it's really nice. So it's good to have them back, and they, they've enjoyed seeing their friends and getting to meet their teachers and all that stuff, so it's been really nice. good. Yeah, yeah. It's always nerve-wracking, but... Nice when you have teachers that your kids can enjoy. I think that is huge. Yeah. So I do have one quick question for you before we get into this. I'm I'm gonna kind of put you on the spot a little bit. But okay. as a former teacher, yes, how was the first week or so of school? Because from a parent looking in, somebody who's never been a teacher, it seems like it'd be a nightmare. Like the kids are coming back and like they're not used to sitting down in classrooms and they're, they haven't seen their friends all summer. So they're constantly talking. It seems like most teachers do like, a, they seem to do a really good job from the outside, but that kind of seems like, like my nightmare. Like I would never want to do that. So <laughs> it is rough. I will say that you have to be very prepared and make sure that you've thought of everything that could potentially happen. And of course things happen that you didn't plan on anyway, but the more prepared you are, the better it goes. I will say though, like that first, really the first two weeks are a lot, a lot, a lot about procedure, procedure, procedure. This is how we do things. And you make the kids do it over and over and over. So even things like when you come into the building, you stand up or you stand outside the the door here and we don't go into the classroom until everybody's quiet. Because I, I promise you, if kids come into the room noisy and crazy and they're, you know, whipping their jackets and backpacks at each other, the whole rest of the day is off. But if you come in in a nice line and the kids are quiet, they go hang their things up on their rack, they go sit down, they have a little smart start to get them going first thing, it just starts your day off. But it's practicing those kinds of routines and then reinforcing it, having having little erasers that you can hand out or, you know, funny money, whatever it is that you use, but just reinforce when you see kids doing the right things and not pointing out the negative. I could not stand doing that. When, when you saw kids doing things that you didn't want them to do, or maybe they shouldn't have been doing and then nagging them for that. I think that doesn't help anything, but pointing out the positive that's when everybody wants to start doing those things. And that really starts off the school the school year on a good note. So it, it really is just a lot of practice, procedure, repetition. And honestly, Preston, usually I didn't notice. It took until about Halloween was usually like that magical time. But then all of a sudden everything just changed. And it was like the kids just, you came back from Halloween and everybody was, it just 
was a totally different tone. I don't know why, but that's about how long it takes to get them into that routine. So, yeah. Oh, man. Well, I'm glad that we have people that are willing to be teachers and can do it because I could not do that. So, um, so I'm glad that there are people that want to do that. But Yeah, I totally agree. It was, It's a fun job. It, it has its challenges, and I'm grateful I got to experience it, but I'm glad I'm here now, too. <laughs> so. Uh, so I'll turn the time over to you because this is kind of one of your special projects, and so I'll let you explain kind of what this was and what the idea behind it was, and then after that, we'll get into the recap. Yeah, so I, I have had so much fun and have been really quite honored to be the director of the Angular Community Meetup, and... We have, you know, we always say this at the end of our episodes, we have two events every month, one for the Spanish, one for the English, but I've had this idea for a while now of doing one kind of like a bonus event, but what I noticed when I was trying, actually, I'm glad that you asked me about teaching because that's where a lot of this idea came from, was my transition from being a teacher, getting into a totally new career field and I felt so out of place, so lost. I had no idea where to go for help, who to talk to. But whether I reflect back on my own experience or as I've met other people who've made that transition, particularly women, just wanting and needing mentorship or guidance and sometimes just support, that's where I wanted to have this kind of event where we could provide that for people. And this is a place where everybody can come together and get insights into questions and solutions for for women, yes, but really for anybody needing advice and mentorship on how to be successful in the industry at really any point in your career. And I really want to put an emphasis here on that word solution, because what we don't do at these events is come and whine and complain about the problems our focus is on finding solutions to those problems and to be positive and uplifting and inspirational. And that's exactly why we call it the hour of empowering. I really want the community to know that these events are open to everyone. And in fact, I hope that people see these as a safe place where there's transparency and no judgment, but where you can come and ask questions that you might otherwise maybe feel silly or uncomfortable asking at your job, but you can come and ask them here. Yeah. And I think it's really cool because I am the father of two daughters who I hope feel comfortable. I don't want to push them into STEM areas, um, whether it's just in school or college or a career, but I want them to feel comfortable going into those areas. And so events like this, where they could look and see, oh, there's girls just like me that are programmers. That's really important. And I think I talked on an episode recently about how cool I thought it was that like we go to a dentist and my girls see our dentist is a female and she comes in and she works on her teeth where I grew up and pretty much every dentist I went to until the last five years was a male. And so now they get to, they can see themselves as a dentist. And now with these events, they can see themselves as a programmer. So I think it's really cool. Um, I'm excited uh, for, for these events and, and really happy that, uh, that we get to host them. And um, just think it's cool that you have put so much work into doing that and, and getting them organized and everything like that. 
So I'm excited to get into it. We'll go ahead and jump in. We'll share uh, the recap from the meetup. We had two panelists that were in this episode with us, Kate Skye from Hero Devs and Elisa Duncan from Okta. Um, and then after that, we'll be back and we'll recap what was said and add in any additional thoughts that we had. These are two fantastic developers. Just to give you an idea of who each of them are, Elisa is the, A, I don't know about the, but she is a senior developer advocate at Okta. And she's also been an important member of the Kansas City Women in Tech group. So this was before she moved to the Pacific Northwest, but <laughs> um, she's also one of the co-organizers at NG Girls. And then she's been a co-director at Coding and Cocktails. Uh, very fun get together. They're also in Kansas City, I believe. But then she's also, I think this is really important for tonight's discussion. Elisa is a former chemist and she had an excellent career with that before she got into programming. So this is one of the things that I love about Elisa is that she had that other career and just made that transition. And she's has really made you know a great career for herself here in programming as well. But then Kate, Kate Sky, our other guest for tonight, is currently a consultant with Hero Devs, and she's also been a mentor with NG Girls. And then she has given talks at NG Conf, and she's been a guest on several podcasts, including Web Rush. And then most importantly. Kate is the proud mother of five kids. So something I really admire about Kate is that she keeps a really great work-life balance and makes her family one of the most important things in her life. So I really admire that about her. But um, welcome to both of you. How are you guys doing tonight? Awesome. Yeah, very well. Thank you for the great introduction. <laughs> yes, that's very sweet. <laughs> You're welcome. I mean, every every last bit of it, though, I always love connecting with both of you and excited for tonight. So I have some great questions for you. Eileen and I have some, some questions we want to really dig into and just make it a, a fun discussion and something where you know, hopefully we can inspire other women in programming and help them to find solutions to questions they have or problems they have or something I think we all need is inspiration. We all deal with things like imposter syndrome or just the ups and downs of programming. So that's what we're really here for is to talk about a handful of things, but we'll see how far we can get. I did want to start, Elisa, you know, I mentioned there in your introduction that you used to be in, a, a, was it a chemist or what exactly was your job title? Uh, it was chemist and I uh, made paints. So it was oh. industrial coatings. Yes. Okay. So talk to us about, about that. Like what, you know, what has been one of, or one, the most, even most challenging part about getting into programming after having had a successful career doing something else? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's always tough, right. To make a change. And especially, I mean, I was a chemist for 10 years, so it was really a big change. You basically walk away from everything you've learned, everything you've built up, and you have to start over. But it was a challenge. I was uh, ready to tackle and take on. And uh, 
grow. So the the other thing to keep in mind also is that uh, I was not young <laughs> when I did that, right? Um, after 10 years. So when I went to my new job as a developer, um, I was one of the oldest people on that team. Right? Everybody was much younger. They're right out of college. And that was not me. So not only do you have um, somebody who are, <laughs> I'm young in spirit, thank you. Um, okay. Somebody who is, uh, um, you know, brand new to development, but also kind of feel like you're coming in as a disadvantage, right? So it feels like it's a, it's like stacked against you. That said, I was incredibly lucky at where I landed. And the, the place that I started working first was a fantastic, fantastic company. Really, really supportive. It was a really great place to be. So having that support system, I think, is really helpful anytime you make a change or have anything uncomfortable. One thing that I remember, because I, I came from education myself. Like I, I did mm-hmm. not go to school for programming, but one thing that I found really hard was that you get really good at what you're doing, right? You have this whole career before and you get to this point where you're very proficient, you're, you feel confident with what you're doing. And then it's really off-putting because you go from being able to do things independently. You know, you're, like I said, you're confident, you're able to do all these things, but when you make that transition, all of a sudden, especially with programming, you have to get used to being uncomfortable and you have to get used to asking other people for help. And that's not something I do very easily. That was really hard for me, but I don't know. And and really this is open to everybody, not, not just Elisa, but is that, how did you deal with getting more comfortable with that? And just the process of pair programming and having to rely on other people, but also just not feeling very good anymore at what you were doing. Yeah, that's really, really, really tough. And um, I'm sure um, myself, you probably very similarly, many people, um, imposter syndrome kicks in and you feel like, oh no, I have, I'm, I'm so far behind, right? I'm so, so, so far behind. Um, for me, I tend to counteract that by putting in some really ridiculous <laughs> hours and extra time to learn. And I completely understand that that is not a viable course for everybody, but that was how I coped with it. And at some point, you have to have some realization of it's okay to ask a question, right? And I think that's actually one good thing about being say an older person making a transition is I didn't have, I feel like some of the same feelings of um, really self-confidence that I see younger women face um, as an, as an older woman at the time, I'm like, well, I don't know this. So I'm going to have to make myself vulnerable and ask. And if that's, if that becomes judgment on me, then I guess that's what it is. <laughs> I just move on. <laughs> so I think that's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I think that's just uh, um, something that um, we all, um, all of us, and then women included, learn as we get older, right? It's just we have to learn to stop caring so much about what other people think. I agree. You mentioned this supportive company. Could you enumerate the key items that you feel were, were supportive? Like if anybody wants, any other company wants to replicate that, 
what what could you describe as a supportive company? Oh yeah, that's a really good point. So the thing I loved most about this company, and unfortunately uh, they were bought up by others, and so it's no longer around, um, is that they had a really really great culture of learning. I think that was the big thing. So we were all learning together. Um, there was lunch and learns. There was everybody ate lunch together because they catered in lunch, and we would all just talk about things that were interesting. To, it wasn't work related, but things that were interesting to us, things that we you know learned about on the side. There was uh, a lot. It was C plus plus place, so there was a lot of conversations about the, uh, uh, the C plus standards that were coming up. It was just a really great learning environment. Kate, have you ever dealt with imposter syndrome yourself? And and I think especially as a consultant, you have to work pretty independently. But how have you dealt with these kinds of things yourself? Uh, actually, my imposter syndrome kind of uh, showed its ugly head when I started um, doing some public speaking. Ah. And uh, so... Because a lot of people tell me, oh, you could, you know, you could do public speaking. This is so good for your career and everything. And you think you know a lot of things, but actually speaking about it, it's like it's so intimidating. And um, most people who do it are not women. It's, you know, it's it's a numbers game. Uh, so for me, it was just uh, kind of uh, the approach that I was told uh, to take on that is um as a startup approach. And I was recommended a book about uh, how startup businesses start and just like do it, uh, just do it kind of approach. It was so hard um, to overcome the fear, but um, yeah, it's it's hard. Just, I, I think my first meetup I canceled because I was so careful. I actually <laughs> pretended I was sick of something. <laughs> Well, okay, let's talk about that because this is actually something that's been on my mind a lot lately. And, and you know, granted, my background is working at NGConf. And then even when I was at Thinkster.io and I was helping developers to make courses, it was something that I did notice that, yes, this is a numbers game. Like you said, there are just more men in our profession than women. And so, of course, you're going to have more men submitting to, to give talks and and all of that, but how can we support and encourage more women to give talks? Because I think women give amazing presentations and there's no reason that we should feel like we can't deliver just as an effective presentation as any man, right? So what can we do though? How can we support each other in submitting to a CFP or not canceling, right? Like not not letting those fears get the best of us. But does anybody have ideas or suggestions of how you, because all three of you have been presenters or speakers in some kind of arena or another, but what suggestions can you offer? Well, if you don't mind, I'll go first uh, while it's fresh in my mind. Uh, what really helped me even with NGCon presentation, I had so much support from the organizers not only like they checked in on me, they always encouraged me like, no, you can do this. Like they, they reviewed my slides. They, you know, they helped me just 
um, just like psychologically, they would just like talk to me because I was going through like a lot of changes in my life, going through divorce. So I was like so overwhelmed by everything I was doing. And then I had this talk and I'm like, I don't think I can just like put everything personal and professionally together and deliver a good talk. But people just checked on me. They just like always, um, you know, ping me and said, okay, how are you doing? What can we do to help you? And I think uh, even inviting women to to do talks versus um, submitting for RFCs is so important because a lot of women are just so, they're just not confident enough to, to do it or they're fearful or imposter syndrome, whatever you, you know, you call it. But we're just not in the same state of mind as, as, um, as men are. I think like based on my feelings, I feel like women are just not as confident and we, we don't just go for it. Sometimes we need to kind of be guided towards there. And, uh, when I mentor my, uh, the people that listen to me, when I mentor, I always tell them like, why don't you start teaching other people about what you, what you're learning. And a lot of, there's a lot of resistance because people are are afraid that somebody's going to think something bad about us or something like that. So just encouraging and, and finding that support system, I think is very important. I absolutely agree. I think having a support system, whoever, whether that's the work, whether that's the organization that you're speaking at, um, or if it's, if it's your uh, group of friends, right, whoever it is, having a having a support system. And I think it is also really important to invite um, diverse speakers. You're not going to get necessarily the uh, that submission. I absolutely agree. So invite um, women, invite groups from underrepresented, you know, uh, devs from underrepresented groups. Yeah, I was just wondering also on, on the question as to, you have five kids, how would, I mean, if you go to a conference, how do you deal with that, right? I mean, that's another personal thing, like, are conference also providing this support? Well, this year, uh, I did not speak at the conference, but the year I did speak at the conference, obviously, I was invited and it was all paid for. That was really nice. Um, the challenging part about a, a single parent is finding somebody else to watch your kids. Um, although it's becoming a little bit better, but um, like this year I had to ask a family member to watch my kids. And uh, I think uh, for those uh, lucky enough to have a partner, the partner support is so, so important because if you have children and both of you are developers, and, and if um, a wife is speaking at a conference, somebody has to stay behind and watch the kids. And and I, I don't think it's a competition and who goes, right? Like, I think it's it's just important to give that support to your partner to be able to also go to conferences. And I hope there was two NGCONF for those that have a family of two Angular developers <laughs> twice a year kind of thing for those kind of situations. But Ideally, I think even if it's every other year, uh, one goes or the other goes. But if um, I know some families brought their children to NGCOM, that was really nice to see. It was so beautiful to see children at the conference. I do want to ask you more about balancing family and work, but I, I want to give just one additional thought on this idea of speaking as well. And that is that I think sometimes when we get rejected from giving a presentation, we we take that to heart. And I would just encourage anybody who submits to speak at a conference that if your talk is not selected, please don't take that the wrong way. Like um, I, I've been lucky enough to be able to sit on in some of the NGConf 
um, uh, decision panels. And there's a lot, a lot that goes into making the decision of who speaks at the conference or not. And some of the talks are pre-selected. And if there's a talk that's selected on a specific topic and you just so happen to submit a talk on that same topic, the one that was pre-selected is going to, to, to be chosen. I mean, that's just how sometimes it goes. And so, you know, you could have submitted a talk that at any other conference would have been selected. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is you just never know the factors that are going into why the select or, or the speakers were selected and don't take it personally. It There's just a lot that goes into it. Try again and submit multiple at, at once. You know, like don't just submit one presentation idea only. Try submitting two or three or four talks on a variety of topics and your chances of being selected will go up from there. But just something to keep in mind. Don't take it to heart. Don't don't think that it means that you're a terrible developer or that you should never submit again. But just some thoughts there. Um, but then, yeah, Kate, I do want to get into how are you balancing family and work life? Because I know that's something that's challenging for any developer. It's so easy, especially when we work remotely, to have our job seep into our personal time. But especially with you know, you being a single mother, how is that something that you've really been able to effectively do? Well, I do have two older children who are 16 and 14 who help me a lot with younger. And uh, even my 27-year-old son, who doesn't live with us anymore, comes out and he helps me. Like, I just, it's a big uh, effort on uh, the whole team. Like, the whole team effort is uh, within my family. So um, teaching kids responsibilities is one thing. Um, and um, I have very understanding um, uh, company that I work for. They, you know, they know I'm, I'm a, mo- a single mother of this many children. And, uh, but I get my work done. Like my work is uh, is at the top of the priorities always, uh, as well as my children, obviously children would, would go first, but uh, I get my work done. But uh, to keep my sanity is, uh, is actually just living a healthy lifestyle. Like I always um, uh, make effort to go and work out and eat healthy and get some fresh air. And uh, that's kind of, that keeps me say, sane and, um, Trying to just uh, create like positive, uh, you know, fe- not feelings, but like surrounding myself with positive people and and uh, having positive experiences. And that's kind of, I just go with the flow. I don't really like try not to stress out about like the kinks in a road, you know, they always happen. Like my 14 year old broke her toe right before the tryouts for tennis. And, uh, and that was very painful uh, to watch her because two days later, she just, you know, I did take her to get an x-ray. It was, it was fractured. Uh, but two days later, she was like, I'm still playing. I'm still going. And she somehow still got onto the team and uh, made it work. So I think that's just a representation of my life. You know, there's bad things will happen, but we just kind of work through them. I know both of you are mentors. What have you learned from mentoring young women in tech? So I think this is maybe not necessarily from um, mentoring, like in the traditional sense through coding cocktails with the Renji girls. But in general, I would say the one thing I have to remind, not just myself, but other women who I'm mentoring, is to not impose their own constraints 
onto things and to not pre-disqualify themselves from things. So it's not always like, don't tell yourself no, such as, oh, this, this submission for this topic uh, on this speaking uh, uh, at this conference isn't good enough. Go ahead, just do it, right? Let the organizers tell you that it's not going to be a, a good talk. Apply for that job. Don't feel like you're not qualified to apply for a particular job because you look at the prereqs for it and you're like, oh, no, I only meet X number of these items. Apply for it anyway. It's, let the hiring manager say, nope, never mind. So don't, pre-dis- don't pre-disqualify yourself from things. Go for it. Uh, so I think most of the things that I'm learning are about myself, <laughs> because every time I speak to somebody who's uh, getting into this career, I see myself 25 years ago, kind of doubting myself, am I going to be able to do this? And I think it used to be so much easier to get into programming before than now, and they have to learn so many things. But uh, what I do envy uh, is seeing them having an exact road and where they're going. Because you know they're they're um, they're like sponges. They ask the information like, "What should I learn? Should I learn this? Because this sounds like it's part of you know this job description, or you know, am I supposed to know this? Or you know, um, or I'm not sure if I can ever do this. Why this is so much work? You know, like this is so hard. And and just just talking through that, and then you know, and and. Uh, just having the understanding that I've been through this and look at me, like I've, I've done this. And if I've done this, you can do this. And I always, I pretty much approach everything I learn in my life. If somebody else did it and I want to do it, I just have to, I just have to go for it. I'll be able to do it. Yes. I might change my mind and not do it, but at least if I want to try it, if somebody else achieved this goal, I can achieve it as well. And, um, so I'm constantly learning new things about myself. And I, I just see uh, like my, my two uh, nieces who, uh, how hard they worked on their projects, how hard they're learning. It's, it's just like, and they, they also have children. And uh, I think the, the mothers who go into programming are the, they're going to be the biggest asset for the company because they know how to multitask. <laughs> they can do, they can do this. So the times of when we were, um, disadvantaged and like looked down upon are over. I think like we're all that. I think this this meetup should have been uh something around Barbie movie because if you remember the speech on the Barbie movie, anyone who watched that movie, the speech that the the Barbies uh, was it Barbie who said it or the uh, or the girl who was um uh, mom, I think yeah the mom I, I mean it's so on like we can do everything and you know we could still achieve a great career we could still be mothers we could you know we could be leaders all these things are possible and if we put our minds to it we can we can do it I think one of the best things for me as far as mentors and and learning from mentors is I have so appreciated when I've had team members and mentors say I don't get it either. Or yeah, I struggled with that either. Or yeah, that is really confusing code. You know, when when other people who you look to as being more senior than you or more experienced than you, and they open themselves up to that that vulnerability as well. And well, if this is confusing code, no wonder it doesn't make sense to you. Or, uh, you know, just admitting that they don't know either. They don't have the answers. I have no idea. Let's find out together. 
I love that because it shows it, it, I don't know, it just helps you to feel like, okay, like I'm normal. This is fine. You know, don't stress about it. But I would just encourage anybody, whether you're a coworker or in a management position to share that as, as often as you can so that other people feel more comfortable and less stressed about not having the answers themselves. But I think we have time for one more question before we get into Q&A. And Can I add one thing about oh, that? Yeah, please. Uh, Brooke, yes. Yeah. I like to say that the uh, difference between a junior and a senior is that the senior just knows better search terms to Google. That's the only <laughs> difference, right? <laughs> but we're all go. still Googling. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's true, though. It really is. But ah, I love it. Have either one of you, because I know this, this has come, I will admit, like I have question as I've gone from being a teacher to going through boot camp, working at ngconf, which really wasn't programming to then getting into programming like it's been a bit of a journey but here I am and there have been days when I've just said, am I really where I belong? was this really the right thing or did I make a mistake? And whether you come from being a chemist or you went straight into being a developer, have there ever been times for all three of you when you've ever considered leaving the industry and whether or not you've had that, you know, that question, what has kept you passionate and going and just pushing forward? For me, I always thought that I could be more successful, maybe running my own business. Don't ask me why. It's just my set of mind. And, um, and I had, little breaks when I had my children and I would always like think of oh, maybe I can do this or that. And, and, uh, and I was like, Oh, I don't think I'm good in sales. I don't think I can do this. It's too, it's too much. Like you have to sell things. And not until I realized that programming is just another sales job. All you have to do is sell yourself, but you only have to sell it once per project. So much easier. <laughs> This is when I kind of like, okay, so all you have to do is you just have to build a product so good that it has to be so valuable that, you know, that you could just, uh, because you are, you, in fact, you are the product of your company and the company might be, you're just, uh, you know, full-time employer and something like I am, but you're still a product. And if you provide value, you're pretty much an entrepreneur and just, have a product of one uh, and uh, to me I said I know how to do this really really well I really like learning new things why am I thinking about other ways to, <laughs> to do this so this for me I just realizing that I just need to niche down into this one area and just make it as as um, profitable as possible because I like what I'm doing and why not just stick to this this is kind of was my train of thought but I did I had a lot of a lot of times where I kind of deviated in my train of thought where I'm going to go maybe a different direction and I'm glad that it all worked out the way it did and um, uh, I think there are more bigger and better things ahead now I've been lucky in that um, I I've been really really thrilled with uh, making the transition from uh, chemistry to tech, and I love what I do. But I completely also understand that, you know, if you make a transition or you get into tech and it's 
turns out it's not your thing, it's, it's okay to also admit that and then find a way that you find, you know, bring your passion to whatever it is that you're doing, right? Totally, totally get it. I would say that you would want to find a support group. You would want to have a group regardless. I know that I personally have found that really helpful to have a, a group of other women in tech that I reach out to, I chat with, I say, hey, so I encountered this. Does that seem okay? Or did that seem kind of strange to you? You know, so having somebody to talk to like that is uh, really, really great. And then also meeting people at conferences or meetups or things like that, right? Especially now that we're all remote, having those connection points with other people, um, I think is really helpful to make sure that you are in a good place, that you're still happy with what you're doing, that you're learning new things. So um, that's what's been helpful for, for me in terms of being happy with where I am. And I think, oh, somebody asked when I made the transition from chemistry to, um, to tech, and that was uh, 15 plus years ago now. So it was a little while ago, um, but none of it's easy. I totally get it. <laughs> I feel for anybody who might be grappling with that question for themselves. I think too, it's important to remember that if you make the transition into being a software engineer and you don't feel like it's quite for you, there's a lot of positions still within tech that you can find that happy place for you. And it's okay to make that switch and to do some exploring. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes I think we feel like we've failed somehow, but that's just part of your journey and that's okay. And I think just being patient with yourself and understanding and enjoying the journey, you know, it, it isn't a failure. It's just part of you finding you. And that's great. We have some questions from the audience to compliment this panel. So I'm just going to go ahead and read them if anybody wants to answer them. So Alejandro asks, could you please mention a few techniques that work for you to overcome some of your public speaking fears? I was really fortunate to be able to take part in the meetup here. Doing these kinds of things where I am behind the screen and I'm not, I can't see everybody. I think that's been really helpful. And we all have Zoom. You know, I, I think there are ways for you to be able to practice without having an audience in front of you. And for me, that has helped because then I was able to get more confident with just speaking my mind or getting like learning the motions of thinking a couple of sentences ahead of what's actually coming out of my mouth, if that makes sense. So practicing with online events or, or um, you know, giving small presentations at your work, I think helps being with people that you're more comfortable with in those small settings. That has helped me to gain a lot of confidence and not worry that when, you know, when I gave my talk at NGConf in June, I was still scared, don't get me wrong, but I think just having had all this practice gave me that confidence to just get up there and, and do it. Yes, agreed. A lot of practice starts small. Um, also, just because we may have overcome it for a particular conference doesn't mean that we still aren't fearful. <laughs> Public speaking is still super uncomfortable for me. I don't particularly like it, but it's a way that I try to push myself to grow and uh, um, I purposely make myself uncomfortable in that way. Um, it's not for everybody and I totally get it. So yeah, start small and just remember that everybody's rooting for you. They want you to succeed. <laughs> so, 
I agree with everything. I don't think I have anything else other than it's just like another skill you have to keep practicing. Amazing. And just one final one. Uh, everybody, welcome to answer. So how do you go about being a resource for others to reach out? And how do you put yourself out there for others to reach out as a resource to co-workers and developers, etc.? How do you put yourself out? For me, one thing that has helped is joining groups like the meetup here where you're connecting and networking with others uh, and then really engaging with people, not just sitting back and coming and attending, but actually starting to engage and talk with people, networking, but then offering. I think a simple offer goes a long way. I know for me, for example, I can share a quick story about how when I was, uh, I still hadn't quite learned how to be a developer yet. And um, yet what I had done was join a meetup and I was there and I was participating. I was volunteering. I was actually putting in some time. And then through that, I got to know some of the other, the other attendees, the other organizers. And just in our everyday conversations, they got to know more about me and I really wanted to be a programmer. And so they just offered, they extended that, hey, why don't you, you know, let's meet twice or three times a week. And that was what made all the difference in the world. But I had to put myself in those places. I had to be there and I had to be engaging with people. And I think that was a really big part of how I found that mentorship. So I would just encourage others to do that. You know, go join these meetups. We're always happy to take more organizers here at this meetup or uh, maybe find some there at your work. But I think you have to put yourself in those places and then really just start engaging with people. Yeah, absolutely agree, Brooke, um, that you have to, you have to give yourself, like make yourself a little bit vulnerable, right. And put yourself out in a way. So like signing up to be a speaker at, uh, at this meetup, or if you want to start smaller with your own coworkers, maybe something to say is, Hey, I learned a new thing. Is it okay if I share it with you? I want to practice my, my speaking skills. Right. And that's okay as well if it's if it's something like that and something small as well so i honestly really love your uh your journey into tech as well and the transition you made and 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 all that i think it's it's super inspiring for everybody to hear it oh i appreciate that i've definitely dealt with a lot of imposter syndrome so i i appreciate hearing that well for me um i mostly meet people offline people who around me who know that what I do it's really uh fun to to have like young people who are going to college or are thinking about this career approach me and ask me like oh so Miss Kate we've heard you're a programmer can you tell us a little bit more about this but like because uh, most kids like who are interested in, in this career they they just want to know how much money you make but you can't really say it straight up because you don't want to be like, you know, it's just not an information that you want to share with, with people. Um, but I want to I want to be open and presented in the most beautiful way because I think it is a great career for anyone who's interested. And um, and I tell parents, <laughs> like my friends who are parents, and if they have children, I always always sound like, hey, if he's interested. You know, make uh, see if he can if he wants to reach out, and I'll I'll tell him some of the tricks of the game because 
uh, I think finding uh, mentors and people who are going to help you get to that point. Like for example, this uh, one uh, son of my friend reached out. He wanted he wanted to get into cybersecurity, and I'm not a cybersecurity developer, or I'm not in that area. So I pointed him to to what he needs to seek out in order to get into that career. And just letting people know that I'm completely open. I'm in this in the point of my career where I want to help other people. Like if it's if it's your child, if it's you, I, I've had uh, someone someone's wife reach out to me. We talked about if it's possible for because some people are just like, is it possible for me to get into this career? I am so and so like years old, and and it's just uh, you know it's beautiful to see people uh, with open heart just uh, interested. Uh, in in their own ability, they're asking me <laughs> to validate it, and um, uh, and to me it's very fulfilling. And I'm surprised that a lot of people are like, "Oh, I don't want to really bother you, but can I ask you a question?" But I'm always so open, like to help people. And um, yeah, if if I were to help anyone offline, it would be Twitter. Uh, I have Instagram page. Uh, those would probably be the the best ways to reach out to me, and um, I'm completely open book. Like I can talk to anyone. I'm glad you mentioned social media because I had I I kept thinking of that too. Where engage in the conversation, right? Just jump in on the conversations when you see other developers asking questions or posting things themselves. Add something to it. Post on it. Remark. You know, make make your own comments and add to it. And then if you do that long enough, people start seeing you as a kind of a mentor and you'll definitely, I promise you, you'll have people start reaching out to you, asking you questions. But then also another thing that came to mind was create content. If you're writing blog articles or making videos, even short five minute tutorials, you know, things like that. I think Again, when people see that you're creating that content, they start to look to you for answers and they'll start asking you those questions. And then through those conversations, you can always offer to be their mentor and things like that. But yeah, I would just say create content. One, you know, one example I can share as well is is Jason, one of our co-organizers here at the meetup. He for a long time had wanted to do live streaming and finally just dove into it and he's been so amazing at it I, I think it's what three times a week and he goes and he does these live streams for two sometimes three hours at a time but it's just a great way for people to come and ask questions and again you know if you don't have that kind of time commitment or if live streaming just doesn't interest you I think a really easy thing to do is just jump in on those social media conversations any last thoughts Eileen do you have any suggestions on that question yeah i guess it's i cannot say i know everything i never i i think we're always learning nobody is an expert as as far as i know maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong because you know um but i think the idea of of offering what you know and and i think you guys already mentioned the fact of if you learn something share it i think that's how i commit myself to learn something if i learn it and i can explain it Okay, but if I commit that to somebody else, that's like another level of responsibility that making you share and, and make it explainable. And, and I think that's how I, I managed to learn. I'm not an expert, but if I can learn it, share it and explain it, that's how I can put myself out. I, I understood enough to explain it. And 
that's my safe space, right? I can share about that. I don't know about other things, but I can definitely later learn as a question get asked and so on. So that would be my take. I love it. Okay, well, I really loved that discussion. I had so much fun there. Kind of wished it could have gone on a little bit longer, but that's, I think, the point of it, right? We, we always want to come back and do it again. So I was really glad that uh, Eileen Villanueva was there with me, though. She's one of our newest co-organizers and, and has helped a lot with the Spanish team, but it was really neat to be there and have her... I hadn't really worked with her a whole lot yet. And she's just so, she's such a dynamic developer, so talented. And I loved having her jump in on those questions with me. But um, I want to hear from you, though. I think, you know, so far it's just been all women on, like, on the recap and then myself. But as as a man and a programmer, like, either way, like, what what stood out to you in that discussion? I thought it was really good. Um, and like all four of you brought up things that I hadn't really thought about much, um, or maybe I'd thought about at some point, but I, I hadn't heard quite the same take on it or, or whatever. So I thought it was a really good discussion. I thought it was lots of cool questions and, and great answers and all that stuff. So first of all, I thought it was a, a great event. Um, and I had several things that kind of jumped out to me and uh, that I took notes on that we'll, we'll talk about. There are people out there for sure who will apply to a job that they're not fully qualified for, or they'll submit to, to give talk when they don't really, they're not an expert in the topic. They just studied it or they just wanted to put a talk together. So there's lots of people who will do that. So if you think, if you're one of those people who thinks, well, I can't do that because I don't know that topical enough, or I don't meet all these qualifications. If you meet most of them, just apply. And like Elisa said, make the conference organizers tell you, no, we don't want to select your talk and then ask for some feedback or the hiring manager to say, Hey, we're actually looking for somebody with a little bit more experience and then ask for feedback and like make them turn you down. Because also there's a very good chance that you might not have quite enough experience in one area but you have more than enough experience in another area and they value that. And they say, well, yeah, they, they lack over here a little bit, but we can teach them that we really like what they've got going on over here. And you just never know, or it could be simply too, that they haven't had as many applicants and they really want to get the position filled. Like there's a million reasons why you might get the job if you just apply, even if you're not fully qualified. And so that was probably the thing that I think if everybody could take at least that out of it, uh, of the discussion, that's like one thing that really could affect your uh, your career starting today with not that much extra effort. Because all it is, is if you're looking for jobs or for talks or whatever, just do it and you never know what's going to happen. I cannot emphasize that enough. Like, like my experience getting into software engineering has been that the jobs, at least my first two, I don't know so much about this one. This one I, I very much intentionally went after. But, you know, the first two, I was just sort of applying to any job that was open, right? And I have heard several job 
recruiters and and placement individuals who have said, we'll be having conversations about job openings and I'll say, well, I don't qualify for that one. And they'll say, no, this is what women do so often. You see a list of requirements on the job and you say, well, I don't have this, 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 or that one. And then you don't apply. Whereas men would say, well, I don't have these five, but I have these two. So let's go for it, you know? And that I think is very true of women. We often see what we don't have and then count ourselves out. But we have to stop that because what I'm, you know, I'll I'll go back to those first two jobs that I got. It was the ones that I kind of looked at and was like, "Mm, I'm probably not going to get that. Sometimes I think it's good just to go through the practice of interviewing. And so my philosophy with those first couple of jobs was just apply to everything go through the motion, get used to interviewing and answering questions. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But I ended up taking those two jobs from positions that I had in my mind said, I don't qualify for them, not going to work out. And yet they did. So I couldn't agree with you more. Just go for it. Just see what happens. And like I said, if you don't get the job, oh, well, you know, you, you got practice and experience and now you know next time If you weren't happy with some of your answers, take what you learned and use it for the next interview and you'll do better. So it's just a matter of exposing yourself to more practice. And you've got basically nothing to lose. Right. Like just the worst they can do is say no. And you're in the same position as you were if you hadn't applied, but you don't have the extra experience of interviewing and you don't even have the possibility for them to say yes, where if you apply, you might get the yes that you're looking for. So you have nothing to lose. I know it's scary. It can be hard and intimidating. But if you even kind of qualify, just apply and you never know what's going to happen. And my next one uh, is kind of related to public speaking. um, And it came from Kate. She was talking about um, how important it is to support speakers. And I have kind of thought about this, but only briefly. And Kate made me think about it a little bit more because I've been really lucky that when I've been doing my presentations or recording this podcast or speaking at NGConf, whatever it is, that I have a wife who is very supportive and makes sure that the kids are taken care of while I'm doing that. And like during NGConf this year, my daughter uh, had a, a soccer tournament at the same time. And so I missed one of the the days of the tournament for, for the conference. And it was the day that we were speaking, but like I've had, I have that support, but not everybody has that. And if we can really focus on looking for our friends who might need the support, if we're a conference or a community meetup or whatever that can provide whatever support we can to, to speakers, companies, all that type of stuff, like look for ways that we can really support the speakers. And I think that fair or not, like a lot of times, especially in childcare, that seems to fall to mothers. And so then they're more negatively impacted for being able to speak at things because they're like, well, I have to take care of my kids and I can't get away from them. And so that's why, like I've, I try really hard to make sure with my wife, that if there's something that she wants to do, that's not going to stop her because I can step in and help her like she's helped me. But maybe at a conference level and a community meetup level, a company level, if you have the ability to step in and say, hey, we know that you're a single mom or we know this or we know uh, we can do all these things to help you so that we don't miss out on having you participate just because of these other circumstances that other people don't have to deal with. We still want to hear your voice. 
And so, you know, that's, there's not a lot maybe that us individually necessarily can do for that, but we can at least look for our friends. And if we know a coworker or a friend has a speaking engagement and we can step in and say, Hey, let me watch your kids or let me watch your dog or let me do this for you. Take this off your plate so that you can go do that. That could at least be a benefit. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I think just helping each other out, being a support to each other, that really does, it can make a huge difference in someone's life and in their career. So definitely offering some support where where you can. And that actually leads into my next one, which is that topic that we were talking about with balancing work and family. This goes for mothers and for fathers. It doesn't matter. I think either way, if you're a parent, balancing work as a developer is really kind of unique because so much of our work comes home with us or or we're already at work, right? We work remotely. I can't pretend to have great insights in on, on this topic. I am not a mother, so I can't claim that. And I'm really wanting you to share some of your advice because I... One thing that I really admire about you, Preston, is how calm you always are. You have several children. You are one of the most busy people I know with with your job and the podcast and the meetup, and you're the director of NG Champions, and I could keep going on. And yet you're always so calm and collected and just respectful to other people, whereas I think others might get riled up and on edge. And I've never seen that from you. So... I really want to get your insights in on this on balancing work and, and life. But what I can offer here is the perspective of a child. And specifically, I've mentioned before on the show that I grew up for a lot of my 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 youth with both of my parents, but it, you know, it's now been like I, I was counting this up. It's been 16 years since I've spoken to my dad because he he chose to just leave. And we grew up with a, a single mother. And what I really want to say here, though, is that if you're a working parent, take care of you. Because when you can take care of you, I think it just helps. You can't, it's like Kate was saying, you can't plan for the unexpected. Things are not always going to go smoothly. Things are going to go wrong. But you have needs as well. And just be patient with yourself. And even if you explode at your kids, you can go back and sit down and just apologize. And like I said, from the child's perspective, they get it. They know that you're working hard. They love you for it and they'll forgive you. But just be patient with yourself and give yourself that credit and that time to just have you time. I am really busy and do have lots of stuff going on. But the most important part, I think, is just prioritizing the things that have to get done. And then the other stuff just has to fit in if it can. And so, you know, it's important to do my my normal nine to five job. Um, obviously, that's, that's very high up on that list. Um, and then the next thing after that, during the weekend and schedule is getting to things that my kids have that's going on in their lives. Right now, that's a lot of uh, sports with them chasing around at soccer games and, and stuff like that. Um, and just trying to find time to spend with them, take them swimming and stuff during the summer, stuff like that. And then the other stuff just kind of has to fit in. And so when we're recording these podcasts, we try and keep Brooke is really good at understanding that like I am busy and I'm running places all the time. And so 
we have very specific times that we do it and we sometimes we try to move it around a little bit and and we'll we'll do that but just saying okay i have an hour here where i can do that or i have 90 minutes here where i can do that and then after the kids go to bed my wife has hobbies that she likes to do and then i have stuff that i like to do usually around programming and stuff and so we'll sit next to each other on the couch and we'll kind of chat but then we'll also watch tv and work on our hobbies together next to each other and so fitting it in like that and uh and so i think that's the only thing really that i can say is just be as prepared as you can and then if you have to stop doing some extracurricular thing or you maybe didn't get quite as prepared as as you thought but you'd at least put in some effort um, I think usually it'll just work out for you, but make sure that you do the most important things first. The the things that if you let those plates drop, they could cause big issues. But yeah, just, you know, put them in order and and then do the best that you can. Prioritize. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, I like that. Do the best you can. That's all anybody can expect. So now, okay, you, you're the oldest in your family, oldest child in your family, and you have two brothers who've followed you into programming, which I think gives you a bit of a cool perspective on being a mentor to them and to others. And one thing that, that, that was one thing that came up there during that discussion with Kate and Elisa was mentoring. So what have you learned Like, as you've mentored, be it your brothers or, or other people, but are there things that stood out to you from what Kate and Elisa were saying about mentoring or additional thoughts that you have from your experiences? I think the biggest thing when you're trying to mentor someone is, I think, just trying to find ways that you can help, even in small ways. And it doesn't have to be mentoring one-on-one. People can look to you as a mentor in lots of different ways. If you write lots of blog posts, maybe they follow you on Twitter and, and Medium and and they kind of see you as a mentor because you've written on a lot of topics that have helped them at work and that could be beneficial. So I haven't had like a lot of instances where I've worked like one-on-one with people, but with my brothers or with people at work, like I always try when they ask questions to not just give them the answer, but to explain it to them and and I'll give them the answer as needed, but try to explain it to them more than just say, oh, here's the answer. But then I'll say, well, here's how I got here, or here's how you can figure this out, or something like that. So giving, helping them instead of just giving them the answer um, is a big part of it, too. Definitely. And I'll, I'll add to that. This, it, like One thought I had kind of goes into my, my teaching. This is Teacher Brooke coming out. But one thing I think is really important is never to make assumptions about what your mentee does or doesn't know. Check in with them. I think a lot. And just like you're saying, don't feed them the answers, but check in with them, ask them questions, ask how they would do something and see what they start explaining. They'll start flubbing around if they don't know, or if they know it, great, they can explain it, but don't make assumptions. And sometimes they'll know complicated things that you don't expect them to. Sometimes they won't know really simple things that you would expect them to. But by asking them questions, you're keeping them actively engaged as a learner. You're, you're not, they aren't able just to sit there and passively listen. So keep them engaged, keep asking questions, check in with their understanding and let them explain things back to you. And I think that's often not done when you're teaching people. Let them become active participants in their own learning. And I think that will go a long, long way. 
yeah, you, you have to, you can't make somebody learn. You can't make them progress. And so kind of giving them assignments and if they really want to figure it out, then they'll go, they'll go do it and then they can come back and, and kind of check in. And that's the, the, really the only way for them to be able to improve too. So for sure. So I have, I have one more, but I want to ask you again, because Alisa and Kate did a great job answering this, but I would love to get your thoughts on it too. And that is what has kept you passionate like I said, you're one of the busiest people I know. So what keeps you plugging away nine to five and then doing all of these extra things as well? What has kept that passion for you? I don't really know. I don't know that I have a good answer for this. Just that the podcasting and the community, I like to talk. I like to meet people. And so that that kind of uh, fills a little bit of a gap there. Writing articles and stuff, I, for the most part, those are things that I learned at work and then I just wrote them down. And so it usually doesn't take that long. It takes 10 or 15 minutes to write the problem that I solved down. Uh, and then it, I mostly do it to document it for future me when I inevitably forget how to do whatever I was doing. Yeah. And then like the other stuff, giving talks or uh, making courses, stuff like that, like those types of things come and go. And sometimes I do them. And it's been a while since I made a course. Then I get, I did the uh, workshop at NGConf this year, which was kind of similar. And it was just fun to put this stuff together and to stand up and, and to share that with people. And and so that, it just kind of comes and goes. And sometimes it's more. And then sometimes I don't do anything. And sometimes I'll write three articles a month because whatever I was doing at work, I had a lot of things come up. And then sometimes I write one every other month for a couple months because, um, I don't know, I just don't have it in me to write something down or, uh, to come up with a topic or something like that. So I think that's the other thing to remember too, for everyone is that maybe you do want to get involved and you're like, well, I'm really busy. Um, it doesn't have to be a lot and it doesn't have to be all the time. Sometimes you kind of shut it down and say, I'm not going to do that much right now. I'm not going to sit on the, on the computer after the kids go to bed. I'm just going to watch TV or I'm just going to read a book or go for a run or whatever. And I'm not going to do anything after work today. And other times I feel like sitting down and trying to figure something out and, and work on a project or something. So it just, uh, I think if you do it that way, at least for me too, that prevents burnout because all the stuff that I do outside of work, I have to be able to say not today because I just don't have it today or I'm too busy and I can't get to it. And as long as I, I think as long as you have that attitude, hopefully that'll prevent you from burning out too. And so that kind of helps me keep that motivation up too, is that I'm not constantly doing it. I take breaks in there. I'm glad you pointed that out because I think absolutely sometimes it's easy to see people who are seemingly doing a lot and then come to find out, like you're saying, it's spread out over time. They've had several years that they've been putting that all together or or not, but but you do. You find out that they're human too and that they have had those moments where they just stop and don't work, right? They just take time for themselves and do something fun and goofy. So I think that's important to remember uh, and, and I did, like during that meetup, I shared what keeps me passionate. I don't think it's a coincidence that most people who answer that question in some way or another have said that what keeps them passionate is some form of teaching and sharing. 
be that writing articles or actually teaching a mentee or something. But that seems to be one thing that really helps people stay passionate is just connecting with other people and sharing with them. One thought that I will add to that, though, is a lot of the staying power that I have has come from my interactions with the people around me be that my team at Limble or you or when I was working with Eric Slack, he he was always encouraging me. Jason Warner was the same way. Joe Eames, same thing. I've constantly had people around me who have supported me and given me encouragement and that has helped significantly. So I would just extend that an invitation to everybody listening is just be that for somebody else. Be that support, be that encouragement. Tell people how awesome they are. What a great job. Look at this that you did. Look at your accomplishment. You should be proud. We need to give compliments more to to each other. I think we live in a world where there's a lot of negativity and complicated things going on. And I think one way to push back on that is to say kind things to other people, especially when they're not expecting it, but just to be kind and uplifting and tell people, you know, give them the pat on the back that everybody needs, that kind of a thing. But for sure, I think that's given me a lot of that passion to keep going is when my coworkers and my managers acknowledge my work and let me know that they recognize my efforts. So I, yeah, again, I just encourage everybody to do the same. Yeah, I agree. Couldn't, couldn't say it better. So, well, I think that's really covers everything for me too. So thank you everyone for being here and for listening. I really grateful to Kate and Elisa and Eileen for taking their time as well for this episode. Remember to come check us out on the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month. Uh, the second Tuesday is in Spanish and the fourth is in English. And find us on meetup.com or angularcommunity.net to see uh, what time our next event is. And we pretty much have planned out through the end of the year. So um, make sure to, to come join us uh, for those events. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Dev Life, an NGConf podcast. We would like to thank the NGConf organizers, Joe Eames and Aaron Frost, our sponsors, and our podcast editor and audio engineer, Patrick Hayes. You can hire him and find him everywhere on social media at Pat John Hayes. This podcast was mixed and mastered by Spoonful of Media. You can find out more information about their work and the services that they offer by going to spoonfulofmedia.com.